Welcome into NBA Sound System. Carlin Gay alongside Scott Rafferty and making his debut, the one and only Alex Novick. Alex, welcome, 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 my friend. Uh, pod, 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 big pod. I'm in a good mood because, you know, coming back from my transatlantic flight, which I almost didn't make because the weather in Belgium was storm-like, hurricane-like. 46 mile an hour winds. It was crazy. It's exciting. It, yeah, it was insane. Uh, I took my phone out to record it and it almost blew my phone out of my hand. Nice. It was, it was nuts. Uh, and actually, thinking about it, I read an article. There was the fastest flight, transatlantic flight, yep. across, uh, yeah, from, from England to New York. They made it in like four hours, which is yeah, insane. Which is wild. That, scary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very scary. Uh, yeah, no, no one really wants to be on that one. Uh, on this edition of Sound System, we'll talk about the Toronto Raptors. If no one wants to talk about them, we will right here. The Toronto Raptors have won 15 straight games. Second best team in the Eastern Conference right now. Is Nick Nurse a legit Coach of the Year candidate? Our answers will come later on the show. Andrew Wiggins, keeping the Canadian theme, he uh, got traded last week, if you didn't hear, uh, to a team that will be pretty good eventually not good right now but the golden state warriors and andrew wiggins will that marriage work out will it finally work out for wiggy we'll talk about that uh the lakers will check in on them they stayed status quo at the trade deadline but their cross city or cross town rivals the clippers made a move who's better in la clippers or lakers but let's start with the team that made a lot of noise last week especially in and around the trade deadline the houston rockets gave up on going big they now play small uh and so far mixed reviews on the results from the rockets trade deadline moves clint capella no longer there they have no big man well, they do. It's P.J. Tucker. Yeah, his name is P.J. Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what's your thoughts on what the Rockets, first of all, did? Scott, you already kind of said that on the last episode. So, so Alex, you jump in here. Um, the Rockets made moves to play a style of basketball that we've never seen play before. Do you think that's sustainable? Do you think they'll be able to win at a high level playing this way? But what's your thoughts on, on the Rockets' small ball? I like the move. I give them credit for at least uh... – you know, Daryl Morey trying something different, having having the guts to do something that a lot of people are probably going to be criticizing. Um, I don't have that much confidence it's going to work. Part of it is a little bit desperate maybe, but he's also looking at the situation of there's with the current roster that he had, he wasn't competing with the Clippers, the Lakers, right. and probably the Bucks. So he was going for it. I give him credit. But the one thing about it, and this isn't really what everyone's talking about, but the, the one thing about the trade that I thought was bizarre was they got Jordan Bell back initially. And that to me was the thing that I thought, okay, this trade actually might work for them. Cause at least he's like a mobile big, he can block some shots, play D he's six, eight. So it's not like he's going against that, like non big man mentality. And then they just gave him away. <laughs> so I was really confused by that. Um, but I guess they just don't want anyone who can't shoot yeah. on the roster. Um, and we'll see. I mean, I'm not, Put in on some of the peripheral guys, so I, I think that's going to be the downfall eventually. And uh, yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting. It's obviously, polarizing results so far, but we'll see. I find it interesting that Mike D'Antoni, who's really going to be charged with putting this all together and making this work, like Maury can make all the trades, but he doesn't have to coach this team. It's going to be up to Mike D'Antoni to make this work on the court. And he and I felt he had some quotes over the weekend where I felt that. He was kind of all in on going this style of basketball too. And had he had the opportunity to play this way in Phoenix, 
he probably would have went all the way in. He was taking a lot of threes in Phoenix compared to what the league was at that time, but probably felt that he could have been taking more. Now it's it's live and die by the three. I don't think this team's good enough, regardless of how they play, to beat some of the better teams in the NBA, but I do find it interesting, and I wonder if this style of basketball is going to influence other teams to go out and stop Really, you know, I think maybe is this the end of positionless basketball or precision basketball? Are we fully going to that positionless style that we've been trending towards now? Yeah, because the interesting thing about the they played the the Jazz the other night, and there were a couple times in that game where James Harden or Russ is going one on one against the guy, mainly James Harden because actually Gobert was guarding Russell Westbrook for most of that game. But James Harden would just get by his man. Hold on, hold on. Stop for a second. Rudy Gobert. Let's say that out loud for a second. Yeah. Rudy Gobert was guarding a point guard because that's the only option you have to guard on the court. Yeah. And that's the thing. Even when he was, and then he got PJ Tucker and Westbrook wasn't on the court. And there were a couple times where Harden would get right by his man and just get a layup at the basket. And that's the best rim protector in the NBA. But he's just, he has to find that line between, you know, guarding his man and providing help defense. And when there's four shooters around them, it's just so difficult. Um, one of the, one of the interesting things to me about this trade, or what's happened since they've gone small ball, because Clint Capella didn't play for the few games leading up to that trade deadline, right. so they've actually been playing this way since January thirty first, right? Um, which is what five games. One of the things that's interesting about me, Ross has been incredible during that stretch. He's averaging thirty three and a half points, six rebounds, six assists. His usage rate now, though, in those games is actually higher than James Harden's. Hmm. And they've made this move clearly to make it easier on Russell Westbrook because he can't play next to another non-shooter in a lineup, right? I do kind of wonder, though, if the moves that they've made have kind of turned this into Russell Westbrook's team um, more so than Harden's because it's just like when he's matched up against Gobert, like he has to have the ball in his hands and he wants to attack that, that matchup. Um, and I, I don't think that's a good thing for the Rockets. So you're saying they're relegating Harden to more of a almost a catch-and-shoot type guy with Russ no, around the show? I mean, like Harden's, I mean, his usage rate is still 33% since they went small ball, so it's still really high. But the fact that Westbrook's is higher is just a little bit of a red flag to me because ultimately you, you don't want the ball in Westbrook's hands more than Harden's. That's yeah. ultimately what this comes down to. And I just think that the moves they've made is clearly with Westbrook in mind. So, you know, that's just the, the knock on, like the, the, the effect of that is that he's getting the ball more. Do we feel confident that this is the way that they're going to play in the playoffs, though? Like, they, I know they have to play small. I'm talking about in terms of having Russ have the bulk of the possession versus Harden. Or is this something that they're showing so that other teams think that they're going to sort of change their style of play uh, and, and not rely on, you know, triple teaming James Harden and expecting another player like Russ to beat them? Because we know that Russ is not going to be able to shoot in those situations. But if he has the ball in his hands and you put shooters around him, he'll be really effective. But I still think teams are going to live with, like, if you're the Jazz the other night, I think the Jazz will live with him going off for 38 points if it means that Harden isn't going absolutely berserk, right? Well, that's, the, the Jazz should have lost that game, though. Like, that should have been a like a, a Houston win. It took him a monumental shot at the buzzer to, to to secure that win for the Utah Jazz. And a ridiculous run by Jordan Clarkson that yeah. got him back in the game. And, and and got yeah, Clarkson everything. was incredible in that game. And, again, Rudy Gobert is top three big men in the league. and easily the best big man a defender in the league and it didn't matter for a longer stretch of the game because he, he just couldn't do it he was guarding Russ. he couldn't do anything he was he was out of the paint a lot and it allowed the rockets to just walk in there and have a layup drill but i mean my point being looking at the stats right here 
I think teams will genuinely live with Rossbrook taking 33 shots if James Harden's taking 23. Do you know what I mean? And I think it'll be interesting to see how teams adjust to the Rockets because this is all very new. Um, but again, I think if Gobert is guarding him, he's taking 33 shots, making 18 of them. He scores 39 points some nights. I think over a seven-game series, teams are just going to bet that he can't sustain that. And if Harden isn't carrying that team offensively, I think teams will take their chances against it. I, it could work. I, I really don't know. We've never seen anything like this before. But just based on you know the, the few games that we've seen them go all in on this, that, that, that's the one thing that jumped out to me. The one series that comes to my mind that one player dominated and the opposing team just allowed him to dominate and they didn't win the series was the San Antonio Spurs against the Phoenix Suns. Amari Stoudemire, I think, averaged close to 40 points in that series. And the Spurs ended up winning series, like running away with it. It wasn't even, I think they beat him by six, in six. And Greg Popovich pretty much said, all right, we're, we're not going to give up threes. We'll just allow Stoudemire to control the paint, dominate there. And we'd rather you have the twos than give it up the threes and we'll beat you. And, and they did. So maybe that's the style that an opposing team is going to have to impose, saying, all right, let Russ have, like you said, 40, right. 60 points. And maybe not 60, but 40 <laughs> points. And... You know, we're not we're going to let you – we're going to stay at home as shooters. Exactly. You're not going to take threes, and we just trust that we're, we'll beat you in the end. I, I think opposing teams would be thrilled with that if, if you know, to your point, Russ is more, more the focal point. You've seen his track record. I know I'm kind of a Russ hater, but, like, he's never going to have five games in a series where right. he's shooting above even, like, 45%, like, let alone two games. I mean – They'll, they'll live with that. He's gonna. You want the ball in his hands, like in crunch time. You want him taking 35 shots a game. If you're the opposition, he's he hasn't gotten it done in the playoffs in his career. Not that Harden's been amazing, but right. I think you're thrilled about that. But in in my opinion, I mean that's going to be one of the downfalls. But really, the biggest downfall is whether or not this this strategy, the small ball strategy, will work. I don't think this is even a good going to be a good example of it or like something to really judge from because the peripheral peripheral guys are just not very good. Right. Like Daniel House, I mean, he's fine, but playing 35 minutes a game like in the playoffs, that's not the guy you want there. Eric Gordon, I'm, I don't think, is really an efficient player. Austin Rivers playing 20 minutes a game. Ben McLemore, I mean, if that's going to work, you need guys that are like really solid, established, consistent shooters, and and they don't have that. So eventually it'll these guys are going to have cold nights and they're going to they're going to tank. On the flip side of that, do you think someone is a copycat league? So do you think someone will use this this blueprint and try and perfect it? Because we've now seen, it's been, what, close to 15 years since we've seen the Phoenix Suns run and gun style offense. We're now everybody's playing that way. So is it going to take us 15 years to see the rest of the league catch up to this positionless style of basketball where we see more six, eight guys. That's the biggest guy you have on the floor. That's really skilled and can do everything. I know the Warriors death wall lineup was like, it's probably the best thing we or the best version of that. We'll probably never see something that good, but will the rest of the league try to play that way? I think, I think you'll see it soon. Maybe even playoffs with some teams. Like I think the Celtics could be a team that could, go to a lineup like that, I think they probably will at some point. Um, there's a few teams in the league that, that have better personnel probably for that, and in the playoffs when it's the, you know, the rotation tightens, you're going you're gonna to see that type of lineup. I think the, the Raptors could play that way with Siakam at the five. If you're Which is something they haven't done teams, a lot of. Yeah, yeah. In the East. Um, you know, Lakers as well. I know AD hates playing in the center, but he, the guy has guard skill, really. But, but to your point, too, 
the Warriors, even though they played a lot of Draymond at center in the playoffs and everything like that, that it wasn't their like most used lineup. Right. And that's that's what's so interesting about these Rockets because they are legit. They are legit starting PJ Tucker at center, and they just don't play a center at all, a traditional <laughs> center. Crazy. Um, and to your question, I think depending on how far this goes, I mean, teams are going to copy, right? That's that's how this. It's a copycat league, but only when things are successful. So you know, if they lose in the first round or second round, probably not. Um, but if they go further than that, I mean, absolutely, teams are going to try and replicate that. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to what happens from here. I like I said, the Rockets—they're not winning the championship playing this way. I, I don't care what anyone says. It's just they, like Alex said, they just don't have the talent around Harden, Westbrook to make it happen. Like you're, we're asking Daniel House to be the third best player on a team. That's not—we're not going to look <laughs> back 20 years from now and say that Daniel House turned into Fred VanVleet. That's not happening. I mean, he'd be like the fifth best, right? Because it's it's Robert Covington, PJ Tucker as well. I forgot about Covington. Eric Gordon—they're going to need more from Eric Gordon if they are going to make a deep playoff run. He hasn't been great this season because he's been in out with injuries and everything like that but he'd probably i mean he'd probably be fifth or sixth on that before we move on from the rocks this is the last chance we see this team short of trending at the high level or rather this is this the last chance you give daryl morey if you're if you're the owner of the houston rockets it seems like the writing's been on the wall for a while now i think daryl morey is one of the best gms in the league so i don't know really yeah absolutely you don't well the results haven't shown that he's he's done anything at a high level his teams have continuously flopped when time has been where the back's against the wall. But, like, you look at all the moves that he's made in the past. And I, I think he's one of the best GMs. He's, he's at, he thinks in ways that no one else does. The sure. stuff that he's done with getting picks, protecting picks, getting hard and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I think he's one of the best GMs in the league. I, I have no doubt about that. So, I mean, again, I, it seemed like the writing's been on the wall with him in Houston. Same for Mike D'Antoni. Like, they fired, I think, basically all of his staff heading into the season. Uh, I, I don't think Daryl Morey is going to be if he doesn't if he's not on the Rockets next season. I think he'll be on another team pretty soon after that. Yeah, I don't know. I think he'll probably get a couple more years. The only the thing that might do him in. I mean, not that we want to talk about this that much. It's the the China thing set the clock sure. running for him. Right. Like even no matter how good he performs, like his, his leash got that much shorter. Right. Um, but I think that to Scott's point, like he's so respected, that they're not going to bring in anyone else that's going to make the team better. Um, so I, I think they'll, they'll give him at least another year. The Capella trade is one that could end up really looking not so great for him. I mean, especially like if Covington flops and Capella's just putting up 15 and 15 in Atlanta, then it's just going to look bad. Which would, just one like little note on that, on bringing up Capella. It's crazy. The trade deadline really hammered this home where him and Drummond, who just kind of got cast it off or, or given away like you can put up 20 20 with with some block shots in this league like regularly and if you're not shooting threes like you're just yeah. you're giving away for second round picks it's it's crazy it's, what the league's come to yeah it's i mean great in fantasy basketball but in the actual games nowadays if you're not a threat from three-point range you're pretty much nothing yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean especially again going back to the rockets the fact that russ is not a three-point shooter it's almost like you cannot afford like, at no cost, you can have another a non-shooter next to him. So, you know, there's a lot of teams in the league that don't have four knockdown shooters. So it makes sense in that regard. So Russ is essentially a center now. <laughs> I mean, pretty much when he's getting guarded by Rudy Gobert. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, two teams that do have centers, both in L.A., the Lakers and Clippers. The Lakers decided not to make a move at the trade deadline. Um, I kind of expected them to try and acquire some depth. I also kind of expected them to try and move Kyle Kuzma since he was 
the only young asset they had on their team that maybe moves the needles on a rebuilding squad you could replace for with a veteran. That didn't happen. Um, the Clippers, on the other hand, went out. They made a trade. They got better, in my opinion. My only gripe with the Clippers is I just don't think they'll have enough time to put it all together chemistry-wise. I have no doubt that the talent is there, but with Paul George in the lineup, Kawhi Leonard in the lineup, um, and also playing with a new team, all these guys are new. And I just feel like that there's a lot of selfishness around the bunch. I could be wrong, but I just feel that way when I watch them play. Um, whereas the Lakers, I do feel like there's a, a, a cohesive unit. Everybody calls in, f- falls in line. There's a pecking order. LeBron's A, you know, AD's B, and then everyone else kind of falls in when, when they can. And I just think with the Clippers, on some nights it could be Lou Williams, and some nights it could be Kawhi, and some nights it could be Paul George, where it should be Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Williams, Montrez. And I, do, I don't feel like that's been established yet it, with, with the Clippers, and I don't know if they'll be able to get that established with the time remaining we have in the season, especially if guys are coming in and out of the lineup. Where do you guys stand? I'll start with you, Alex, because Scott already had the chance to kind of talk about that trade deadline. But where do you stand on on the Lakers and Clippers, and are they still the two best teams in the Western Conference? Yeah, I'd probably say they're the two best. I would put the, the Nuggets up there, too. I mean, they don't have the experience, and a lot of people sleep on them, but I, I would throw them into that mix. Um, I agree with you. I think it is a little bizarre that they haven't, they're not getting Kawhi and Paul George in the lineup together a little bit more because yeah. there's going to be, like you said, there's going to be issues at the end of games where, like, who gets the ball? Plus with Lou Will, too. Like, they're going to be deferring to each other. It could be, like, you know, Olympic style when, right. you know, Kobe had to just eventually say, screw this, I'm going to take every shot. Which Kawhi can can do. Like, the they, Kawhi, Kawhi taking those shots. That should be the answer. Why, but, though? Why is it Kawhi? Paul George isn't thinking that. I mean, Kawhi, when healthy, I mean, coming into the season, we voted him on NBA.com as the best player in the league. He's one of the he's. I think he's a far better clutch performer than Paul George is. I, I you're, think you're also known Paul George hater. <laughs> I mean. I, if it's not known, it's known now because I just exposed you. You're known. I'm not, I'm not a Paul George hater. I just don't think he's no, quite as good as other people make him out to be. Okay. That's well, all. Well, yeah. So, but Lou Williams is also a guy that could get his own, his own shot. And I, that's part of the problem for me. I just feel like. There's so many guys that are going to be looking for theirs that they're, they're just not going to gel in time enough. Maybe next season that works out when they have a full offseason, full training camp, and everyone kind of knows each other's role. But I think it's going to be sort of like what we saw with the Miami Heat in the first year when they ended up losing to Dallas when they got together, LeBron, uh, D-Wade, and Chris Bosh. They just... When push came to shove, everyone was kind of looking at, at, at each other to, to do something, and no one took the reins. And, and maybe Paul, maybe Kawhi Leonard takes the reins, but he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going to go out there and, and rah-rah. He's more of a, I'll show you on the court. Well, he leads by example. Same right. with Paul George. He's not a rah-rah guy. The only rah-rah guy is, is just Patrick Beverly. And sorry, <laughs> I, love my, I love me some Patrick Beverly, but he's, he has no business talking about anything to any of those guys. He shouldn't, be, he shouldn't open his mouth. I will say, I still really like the way that the Clippers match up with the Lakers, especially now that they've got Marcus Morris. Something I wrote about on NBA Canada after the trade deadline is that the reason I think that the moves, the move that the Clippers made in getting him kind of swings the battle for LA is because he's another, look, the downside is he's another guy who needs a ball in his hands and he's a ball stopper. He loves to shoot. <laughs> so that, that could, that's definitely going <laughs> to take an adjustment. However, he's been one of the best three-point shooters in the league this season. Not sure. that he's going to keep shooting 44%, but he should be, should help them in that regard. Sure. 
And the Clippers basically have three of the best individual LeBron defenders in the league right now in Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. And if you look at the numbers this season, the Lakers are basically at their best, which is no surprise when LeBron is on the court. But when they're off of it, their numbers fall so drastically. And I think now that the Clippers have those three guys who can make it more difficult for LeBron and the Lakers when he's on the court, I think that just helps them in that series. And that's assuming, you know, they even get to that series because like you guys are saying, it's far from perfect with the Clippers. They might lose in the second round to a team and everything like that. I just still like them more than the Lakers. Marcus Morris shot well in Boston too. He did, exactly. Really and there's, there's enough of a, a track record with him to think that he's going to be continued space in the floor at a high level. It's not going to be 44% or whatever he's shooting right now, but around you know, 37 40% probably. I, I didn't like the trade. I like Marcus Morris as a player. I didn't like the trade. I think a Marcus Morris, you'll get the best version of Marcus Morris if he goes to an organization like the San Antonio Spurs with their structure. And he has to fall in line and sort of follow a formula that's been proven where they've won championships. Clippers haven't won anything. They haven't won anything. They, they barely made a conference finals in their existence. Like they, they, this is a team that has no formula of winning. They just put this roster together. They have huge expectations. And Marcus Morris isn't a guy that you bring into a locker room that, to me, like I said, I don't know for sure, but what I've seen, I feel like it's already fractured. I feel like guys are, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of me guys on the team. And when you factor in Montrez, who's playing for a contract, when you factor in Lou Williams, who feels like, you know, these two superstars just show up and all of a sudden they're getting all the praise. When I was an all-star, should have been an all-star, got snubbed last year. Patrick Beverly, who probably realizes this is the best chance he has at winning a championship. And he looks over at his two superstars who are going to carry him there. And maybe they're taking days off when they probably shouldn't. And he's a guy that's been working his butt off his entire NBA career. That would rub me the wrong way. That I, there's those type of things, and you add a Marcus Morris who couldn't control the kids in New York, and now he's in this locker room with the huge ego as well. It's 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 going to be tough, and you only have two months to get ready before we start. The playoffs are right here; like it, it's not not far away. I mean, there's definitely concerns. I will flip this the other way though. I think the Lakers needed to make a move at the trade deadline, Why? and. Why did they need I think to? they need. This is, a, this is the first place team in the in the Western Conference. I think they need another guy who can create in the backcourt, um, okay. and Marcus Morris would have filled some of that. I what what was being reported is what the Knicks were asking for in return for the Lakers. I totally. I think it was something along the lines of Danny Green, um, Kyle Kuzma, and then two <laughs> second round picks or something. So I, I totally get why they didn't make that move. Right. But I think you know after they struck out on that, there were reports that they were going after Darren Collison. He's reportedly not coming back out of retirement to play for the Lakers or Clippers. I just think they could... And now they're looking at guys like Dion Waiters, reportedly, J.R. Smith. <laughs> I think they could have really done with an upgrade in the backcourt. Another guy who created with the ball in their hands to put next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Gil talked about it in the trade deadline, how he wanted to, to see Derrick Rose on this team. Someone like that, I think, would have made a big difference. Because again, if they do play the Clippers in the playoffs... LeBron's going to have to create against two very strong individual defenders who can match up with him. And I think that's just asking a lot for him at this stage. I have a name for you. Isaiah Thomas. Hmm. Available. From the man who is the biggest Isaiah Thomas hater. And and we've had multiple arguments about Isaiah Thomas (laughs) off air. But I bring it up to you because Scott said, you know, they need someone to create in the backcourt. He has something. I don't know if he can play 25 minutes a game, but he can at least do something in the playoffs. Scott already said no. Where do you where do you where would you go? If they they didn't make a trade, where would you go? I don't hate it. I think 
I'd take him on on the roster instead of Troy Daniels heading into the playoffs. Sure. I mean, he was actually shooting really well this season, despite. I mean, he wasn't playing great, but he was shooting forty one percent from three for the Wizards before they uh, before he got let go. And um, you never know; he's a guy that could just spark you and win like one game. You know, like and that's all you need. Yeah, like like, a, like a out of nowhere game. So I don't hate it. I don't think he's got a lot left in the tank. Like he, you wouldn't want him. You wouldn't want to have to rely on him. But I. I would I would take him if I was them. I agree with Scott. They need some they do help. Need, they do need help in the backcourt. So, but if if Denzel come, are they still the favorites to win? Personally, I would put the Clippers ahead of them. Uh, Scott already kind of hit on it, but I, I think the Lakers are too top heavy. Other than those two guys, I'm I'm not a Kuzma guy. I, I think he's pretty overrated and just hasn't really shot well in two seasons now. Um, and no one else. I mean, Rondo will give you a little something, but no one else is really taking the pressure off LeBron, who's 35 and by the you know after playing 15 games in the playoffs and having Kawhi and Paul George run at him like who, who knows what you know he might he might tire out yeah that's a, it's a good point it's I I really am excited though uh to see what Kyle Kuzma does in the playoffs I don't believe in him let me just get make that clear I don't think that he's going to rise to the occasion but if he does it will happen in the playoffs and he has every reason to. Everyone, including myself included, is expecting him to be one of the reasons why the Lakers don't win the championship if they don't win a championship. I still think that they can win the championship, but he will be one of the reasons they don't get there if if they don't. Uh, and with him escaping the trade deadline two years in a row, with everybody kind of you know poo pooing on him and saying that he is not you know he hasn't played well, he's uh, you know, a liability every time he steps on the floor. Um, this will be an opportunity for him to kind of showcase to the world what he sort of showed us glimpses of at Summer League when he first got there. and Even his rookie year. His rookie year, he played well. And he has no excuse. I mean, he's the third option on a team with two of the best one <laughs> options that you could possibly have. Like, in the, maybe in the NBA. is the best one-two combo in the NBA, arguably. And... He's never going to have opportunity. He's never going to have more open, open shots than playing with LeBron and AD. He's never going to have uh, more mentorship than playing with a guy like Rondo, who's been through it. A guy like uh, you know, uh, even Dwight Howard, who's who's fallen from grace and now kind of been a resurgent guy in his career. A guy like Javale McGee, who's who's been kicked to the side and 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 in the role of what Kyle Kuzma is now. People people were killing Javale McGee when when he was going through his career. If it's not now, this season for Kyle Kuzma, Kyle Kuzma will be a footnote in NBA history because he's not going to be able to be on a team this talented for this long playing this poorly. The, th- the thing to me about Kuzma, I agree with what you're saying. I think he, I think he fooled a lot of people in his rookie year, to be honest. I think he, it, was, it was not the actual illustration of what he is. If, if you had to guess what, what he's shooting from three for the last two seasons combined, three-point percentage, what, what would you guess? I know it's around thirty percent, like horribly. Like he's been bad. I would have said like thirty-one, thirty-two percent, thirty-one point two. And then in college, <laughs> his career three-point shooting percentage was thirty. Yeah. So this is not a shooter. Right. Like he he looked like a shooter his rookie year. He shot thirty-six percent or almost thirty-seven percent. Had the had the ultimate green light with no pressure on him. And then the last two years, a little bit more of a, a spotlight, and he's kind of sunk back to what he is. I think. And if he's not. If he's not hitting threes, I mean, he's he's not giving you anything else. Yeah. 
That's and that's my problem with him because he knew going into this season that he would have to be a better three point shooter, and we haven't seen an improvement. Like it's not even. He might have even regressed from a year ago because he knew he was going to get open looks in the corner playing with LeBron and AD. He knew that, and he just it just hasn't fallen for him. So in the playoffs, if he doesn't show it, it's you know, like I said, he can't play this poorly on a good team for as long as he's been playing. I will say to his credit, he is shooting thirty seven percent on catch and shoot threes this season. It's, there you go. He's shooting twenty one percent on pull ups. Well, what is he doing? Taking how many pull ups is he taking? What is he doing? Taking pull ups? He's taking one one pull up a game, three and a half catch and shoots threes a game. So he, I mean. If he can make catch-and-shoot threes, that's the big one, right? Like, if he consistently knock down that shot, you want that along LeBron AD. It's the pull-ups that you just don't need from him, even though, like I was saying, they could do with another creator. So having someone who could create that shot from three, mid-range, get it to the rim, whatever, uh, I don't think he needs that shot. But, you know, the, as you guys were saying, there is there is a blueprint there for him to succeed next to LeBron Anthony Davis. He just hasn't done it consistently enough for for me to kind of believe it or trust in him. Spotlight's going to be on him big time. He has a bad series, the first two. Yeah, it's 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 a wrap for him and uh, his stint in L.A. Uh, Wiggy, Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> he's finally gotten out of the D-League, and now he's on a team. Wow. Uh, sorry, the G-League. <laughs> the G-League. And now he's on a team that is competent, a team that knows how to win championships, a team that is going to surround him with two all-stars, maybe three next year, depending on what type of Draymond Green comes back. A team that has a very good head coach that knows how to get the best out of his players, knows how to motivate players. Uh, I am I couldn't be happier for one Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> I couldn't be more motivated to watch him play. I think this is the best case scenario. that This is the best thing that's happened to him in his NBA career, his basketball life, period. Other than signing that huge contract, let me take, <laughs> take yeah, exactly. that, that contract was pretty. Big. Yeah, this is the second best thing that's ever happened into, <laughs> in his basketball life. And if he doesn't work here, then I will finally concede and say that Andrew Wiggins may be one of the top three worst first overall picks we've ever seen in the NBA. Wow. I'm happy for you yeah. that that you know, you've been ecstatic. the biggest supporter, oh. and and he's finally going to get to. A chance to at least prove you right. He, he can't have a better chance than this. <laughs> we were talking. We were talking about it earlier this morning, off air. Playing with Steph, playing with Clay, the spacing alone is going to be incredible. Playing next to Clay, he's not going to have to guard the best player defensively in crunch time. He could guard the second best player, third best player, even when Draymond Green's on the floor too. Playing with a, a, a defensive quarterback like Draymond Green to shout at you and put you in a position to be successful is going to be incredible. The only thing that Scott brought up was depth. That doesn't really affect Wiggy. The dude is 24, 20, he's turning 25 this month, I think. He's still young. He's it's in crazy the prime. That he's that crazy that he's, he's that young. young. He's in it's the prime crazy. of his career. He's not even in the prime of his career yet. And he's going to be able to learn. Like, look what it's done for, for guys that spent time playing with the Warriors. Like, like Quint Cook look, learned how to win playing with the Warriors. Doesn't mean he's great. I'm not saying he's good. But he learned how to win. And showed up in the finals last year. Say say that again. JaVale McGee's another one. JaVale McGee's the same guy. Uh, Chris Boucher, who's starring with the Raptors, spent one year, not even on the main roster, in the G League with the team. And talks about that and how that helped him develop into the guy that he is now. Andrew Wiggins has way more talent than any of those guys we just named. And hasn't been able to put it together at a high level Maybe, and he's not going to be expected to put it together at a high level. He's going to have games where he has 28 points and games where he has eight, 
and no one's going to kill him for it. At $30 million a year, you don't think people are gonna going to be upset State. about that? Do you think? I think they might. I mean, you got you built a winning culture with high expectations in that, you know, in that city. It's not exactly the mo- like the most ruthless fans, but I mean, I think there's that he's going to be expected to succeed, especially if they, you know, if he's not playing well, they're not winning. Like if they're not winning at a at a high level, I think there's going to be issues. Myself and Mike Adams both think that this team has the potential to have one of the best records in the Western Conference next year. Where do you sit? Yeah, I mean, they could be top five, I think. I, I don't see them as, uh, you know, one or two seed. But plus, like, you don't know what – Clay's going to need some time. They're, they're all going to need some time to mesh, so. I'm, I'm kind of on the same page. Like you said, Colin, I, I think that the depth is a legit problem for them because as good as Steph, Clay, and Draymond are, Steph and Clay in particular, they've dealt – Clay's dealt with an injury all season long. He's coming back from the ACL tear. Steph's been in and out of the lineup over the last few years with various amount of injuries. Um, after that, th- so they're paying Steph Thompson, Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. Each of them are making over $20 million next season. Do you guys want to guess who their next highest paid <laughs> player on their roster is and how much they're making next season? I'm going to go with uh, Kavon Looney. That's right. Is he making $9 million? $5 million. <laughs> So one of the things that I was talking to you guys off air earlier today is that it's just like we've seen with the Celtics this season. They're very top heavy in terms of how their salaries are structured. It's going to be so hard for them to make a move unless they trade Andrew Wiggins or Draymond Green next season. They do have that trade exception that they got in the Iguodala trade, which could be big. But if they don't make a move, they're basically relying on guys like Kevon Lunu, who's dealt with injuries all the season, Jordan Poole, Damian Lee, Eric Pascal. Did I say his name right there? Pascal. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Guys like that, like those are going to be the sixth, seventh, eighth men off the bench who are going to have to contribute and everything like that. And again, if Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, if they can stay healthy, we have good reason to believe that this is going to be one of the best teams next season. But if anything happens with those guys, any injuries and stuff like that, I just don't know if they have the depth to keep up with other teams and they don't have the assets to move to improve during the season. I don't think. I think you're worried too much about depth. I probably am. I, th- I, think, I think depth is only really relevant in the regular season and beyond that i mean who cares about that like this you have to get to the playoffs first this is a team the golden state warriors that won the championship uh in 2014-15 that right yeah 2014-15 uh and you want to let let me read the bench players to you okay go ahead that was on that team but after that read who they who they got through in the playoffs that year i will and the western conference but but, you're right go ahead i'm sorry but this is this is the bench that they had to deal with when you talk about depth. And, and there were questions around the depth around that time too. Uh, Sean Livingston, Andre Iguodala. You have, once those two names are out there, you, you obviously know that these guys are, so well, first of all, Iguodala ended up winning finals MVP. He also finished fourth in six men of the year voting that year. He was really good. Yep. So they're not going to have any of those two guys. But Eric Pascal can be half of maybe a third of what they brought to the table. He's still, like he's getting experience right now playing 30 minutes a game where he's not going to have to do that next season. He's going, to ha- he's going to be playing 22 minutes a game, maybe. Not expected to do as much. And he's also finally going to be playing with Steph and Clay at times. We, he's not, we're not seeing him with Steph and Clay right now. We're just seeing him with, I mean, Kai Bowman. There's a big difference when you have <laughs> Steph and Clay on the floor and the, the, the spacing that they're, and also Andrew Wiggins at this point, and the spacing that they're going to allow to, you know, to be played with. So what, so, is, what is a third of Andre Iguodala look like? Yeah, I think you are uh, better offensive really, really, <laughs> really a good offensive, how valuable Andre Iguodala is. A good offensive player. 
He, he, he could probably give you what Andre Iguodala was giving you offensively. He's not giving anything close to defense. Andre Iguodala wasn't, they didn't even like have him on that right. team for his offense, basically. I, but that's why I said a third. <laughs> a third of Iguodala. A third of Iguodala. What is a third of an NBA, like any NBA player? You just summon them. Just play defense. <laughs> no one knows you just play defense. But like, Iguodala's a Hall of Famer, so it's hard to compare him to, like I'm comparing Eric Pascal, who, who just, like we just found out about him 20 minutes ago, to a Hall of Famer. Like it, that, I understand that that drop off is huge, but Festus of Zili. Uh, I mean, come Maurice on, Spates Maurice Spates, David Lee. Voting. I'm looking at the table right now. He David got- Lee off, uh, David Lee off the scrap heap. Like they, like he, this guy barely played. Leandro Barbosa, who was 53 years old when they had him. Who else was on that team? These are decent James these are Michael players that you're talking about. But, but, James but Michael thing, McAdoo. But here's the thing. Come these on, are, knock it are, off. These are guys at least who Brandon have been Rush? Like in the NBA before veterans, know how to play, know their role and everything like that. You're asking young guys like Jordan Poole to, to really contribute to a Justin team. Justin Holiday played 59 games for them that season. Okay. How many minutes did he play per game? 11. And they blew every single team out that season. So he's really like, he's just playing garbage minutes. But, but I'm yeah, telling you that these are, these are guys that, these are guys that, you know, we're on the team. So they still have to step on the floor. Like David Lee, Maurice Spates, Landry Barbosa, who I said was 53 years old at that time. Barbosa was playing 15 minutes a game. Festus Azili was still playing good minutes. I mean, he's not even it, in the league right now. Yeah, he's he's not in the league right now because of injuries. He, he had got a, a contract. A he wouldn't be in the league if he wasn't injured, he, if he was he fully healthy. Would. He, was, he, he was played good. good. When he we was just healthy, had a conversation. If he can't shoot threes, get him out of here. <laughs> he, didn't, he couldn't do anything inside or outside. When Azili was healthy, he was pretty good. He got, he got paid after I that can't year. Believe this. Okay, so here's another question. Who's, but who's, he, the reason why he got paid was because he was on the Warriors. He, he, had played he, on, well. he played well. Because he was on the Warriors. He's better than Marquise Chris. Well, Marquise Chris is playing well right now because he's in a system on the Warriors where he's going to be conducive to playing well. And now, look at what Marquise Chris is giving you now without Steph and without Clay and without the full complement of roster that is available to you. And, it's, and, and in, take that production over the last couple of day, games and turn that into he's only gonna have to do that for fifteen minutes every six games because the spotlight's not gonna be big on him. Sure, but the other thing that you are ignoring is that you can have Iguodala game seven of the NBA finals on the court. You can have a Sean Livingston playing big minutes in a third quarter sure. in a closeout game and everything. You you really want to rely on again the guys that we've already talked about on this team in those situations, because right. one of them is gonna have to close games next to Steph Clay. Why? Because they need a fifth guy. No, well, I mean, not not Eric. Well, it could be Eric Pascal. It yeah, doesn't it have to be, be exactly. Kai Bowman. It doesn't have to be. It might be. That, that's the point. <laughs> these are the guys that they're relying on. And again, they're so good. The three of them plus Wiggy could be so good that it might not matter a ton. I just, it's a, it's a red flag for me. That's all. Yeah, I mean, look at them this season. That, that was kind of the reason I, I didn't think they were going to make playoffs this season because of this, the same lack of depth. And you get, you get Clay, like Clay or Steph misses three weeks and you're going two and nine or whatever that amount of games is. I mean, look how bad they are. Yeah, Without, I mean, Steph got hurt, and they were immediately the worst team in the league. But yeah, so that's fine. They, they got – you can't – I don't think you can undersell the lack of depth, and not just lack of depth, but, like, guys that are fringe players to even be on a roster comprising spots six through 15 on, on the team. All I'm saying is this. I just don't I, – I understand depth is a, is a big thing. That you, you would, it's nice if you have it, and normally the top-end teams have it. But like you said, you can only play five guys. So what difference does it make if you have eight guys that could go? Playoff rotation shortened to seven, eight anyway, like in, in a crunch time. But again, you have to get through the regular season. So how much, how much at this stage of their careers do you sure. want to rely on Steph – 
given his injury history and everything like that in his age, Clay, who's coming off a torn ACL, Draymond, things like that. And, and maybe that's why this Andrew Wiggins trade really works out for them because he has the potential to fit alongside them, but he's also shown the potential to kind of create offense for himself. He's improved as a passer in his career. You put him in more space, maybe he has the ball in his hands enough to kind of take pressure off of those guys. But I do think that depth could be an issue on this team just because, again, looking at the guys that they have, the way that their, salary, the, their contracts are structured and everything like that, it's going to be hard for them to make another move unless they trade you know, Andrew Wiggins or Draymond Green or something. I just want to say that before last season, Clay Thompson barely missed games. Sure. But there's this also, guy was one of the most reliable I players man. in the NBA. Dude tried to cut tore his ACL and then tried to keep playing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I just want to, like, we're talking about Clay Thompson here like he's just sort of this milkman all of a sudden. Like he's just going to fall apart. We've only seen him hurt once in his NBA career. Yeah, and it was a pretty bad injury. So I, I don't know what to expect, and that's all. It takes a season for some guys to come back. Yeah, Look at sure. DeJounte Murray this year. He's half of what he was before he But DeJounte before. Murray's game is way different than Clay Thompson's game. It is. Like Clay Thompson's a catch-and-shoot three-point gunner. That's fair. Murray's all athleticism. Etc. So I and same with Steph. Like when Steph comes back from injury, it doesn't normally take him time to get back in rhythm. Like he comes back and he's still Steph Curry. And everyone always expected there to be a drop off. When he steps back on the floor, they're shocked. There's times where he in the playoffs, this dude has missed half a, a month and a half and come back in the playoffs off the bench and provided sparks that you didn't think he could provide. So I'm not worried about Steph, and I'm definitely not worried about Clay coming back next season. I think this is, again, this is the best scenario Andrew Wiggins has ever been in from the organization, from the players that he's playing around. Uh, there's a winning culture there. Like, these guys are not going to lose game 30 next year in the regular season and take that lightly. Whereas right now, he just left a situation where they were on a losing streak 15, close to 15 games. And everything was okay. Like they were just going home to their families, and everything was fine. That that's not. If that happened in Golden State, I mean, Draymond Green and him might have to come to blows. That's yeah. not. That's not happening. He, he's in a different situation. I think it's a perfect situation for the temperament that he has, because it's it's just going to be high intensity, high stress, and he's going to be always motivated to give his best best effort. Whereas I don't think he was motivated at all, really, to give his best effort, other than the one playoff series that they made. And that one playoff, like, play-in game that was like a March Madness game against the Nuggets <laughs> that year. And something you said that I think is worth reinforcing, he's going from a situation where he played with Carl Anthony Towns as his big man, who we all know, incredible offensive player, but defensively not, not great. <laughs> and he's going to a guy, a defensive player of the year, not Draymond great. Green. He's awful defensively. I mean, those are your words. He's awful. Um, Don't mix more words. He's awful defensively. Going go to a guy playing next to Draymond Green, who's one of the best defensive players in the league. That should help a ton. Maybe they butt heads. I don't know. But I, I do think that this is a good situation for Wiggins. And hopefully they can kind of get him to buy in on both ends of the court, but especially defensively. Because he has a ton of potential there. We just really haven't seen it in the NBA. If this doesn't work for Andrew Wiggins. It's not great. It's, he's one of the top three worst draft, number one draft picks of all time. That's probably a, a conversation for another day. But. It, it, <laughs> honestly. I mean, you couldn't be in a better situation. No expectations coming in. Uh, and he, he's not going to have the spotlight on him at all. I, I agree that he, there couldn't, you couldn't draw up a better situation for so many reasons. The thing it's, it's going to come down to that we keep, we keep talking about is three-point shooting. I mean, they, they, they're going to look at him to be that, that uh, Harrison Barnes role, you know, when right. he was in the death squad playing the four. The thing about that is that Barnes shot the lights out for those two years, except for the finals of uh, 2016. But he shot 39.4% in those two years combined. 
And Wiggins, for his career, has never been even an average three-point shooter. He's shooting 33%. And even that one year at Kansas, he didn't shoot too well. So, I mean, he's going to get a lot better looks now. But if he doesn't shoot above 35 36%, then he's not going to be serving his his role. Like, he's he's not going to be... And similar to what I was saying about Kuzma, though, his three-point percentage has been brought way down because he's just not a good pull-up three-point shooter. And like you were saying, he's going to get more open looks. He should get way more catch-and-shoot threes, which he's been better at. He still hasn't been great in his career at those shots, but he's been better at. So hopefully the combination of that does make him into, you know, I don't think he's going to be like Barnes was because he was actually really good. And I think it's easy to forget how valuable he was to that team, but hopefully improved over what he's been to this point in his career. The only issue I see, because I I do like the Harrison-Barnes comparison, the only issue I see is for the three-point shooting is, and, and the only kind of solution to that is if he if you find out he can't shoot threes at the level as Barnes did maybe you put the ball in his hands instead to create for Steph and Clay and take pressure off of them but then that leaves Draymond on the floor who's <laughs> who's re, like he's he's fallen off as a three-point shooter and he's just not going to space the floor so that's the only issue is, is maybe him and Draymond kind of cancel each other out in that in that situation where you know if if you don't if they're not shooting threes you put the ball in their hand to be good playmakers and if one of them's got to be out there to space the floor it's just not going to happen well and then going back to the depth issue who's that fifth player next to them i don't care it could be you me or, or, or but it or does Alex. matter because we're talking it about like the Looney. rockets they it can't, can't be have Looney, like right? if you have Looney's the ball in wiggins hands looney's out of the nba he can't shoot threes he's a big who's playing that they're gonna have well first of all they're gonna have a number one uh, top five draft pick okay let's not forget that this is a this is so this is a team that's gonna end up with a with a stud college player and maybe he that stud college player is someone that they can take a risk on uh you know and 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 because they they don't need they don't need a, a franchise guy they just need someone to fill a role so when they're selecting third overall they don't need to go and find the next zion williamson they just need to find someone that's going to be solid for the next seven years right they need a rotational like, and also they have the they have the wolves pick and that pick's going to be great too right. it's top 10 predicted right or something like that i can't remember exactly to be honest but if that falls like an 11th then you have two picks right there where you're where you're bringing to your team and that's not going to cost you a ton of money to do it's true and you control them for the next six years they're good i mean i'm not worried about their death <laughs> I'm not. I, I really am not. Like they had, they had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson on the same team, and still were able to to fill out their roster. Really, we're doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, two like top five players in the league when they're healthy. But I'm saying money wise, they had they had all those guys together, and I granted the the cap was a little bit different then, but they still found ways to get. Andrew Bogut from Australia for 15 games because David West and Zaza passed up 30 million dollars to go play with them. People That's might not do happening. that. People uh, might do that. You might get one or one guy to do that who's not even at Zaza's level, but I don't know. Ekpe it's Udi's not like you're going to win a championship. <laughs> Ekpe Udo may come back. Knockdown shoot, Ekpe Udo. <laughs> he's, he's playing. I think he's, he's so he's at home he's ba- now. He's back because the, he's in China, and because of the virus, they sent everyone home. So. But he's been hanging. Around, he's been in, uh, hanging around Houston. Yeah, well, Houston about him don't want him. And maybe he doesn't take. He doesn't shoot threes. Houston definitely. If, know, if anybody wants insurance it. policy, maybe they need one big. Yeah, maybe. he's going to read books. Read books to them. He don't do that. Ekpe's book club is, is great. He got me reading again, man. Don't do that. <laughs> the Ekpe we do book club. Uh, all right, before we get out of here, we got to talk about the Raptors because fifteen straight wins. They're doing something that has never been done in the country's history at a pro level. 
15 straight wins. Two things stick out to me about that. A, Nick Nurse is the coach of the year. Uh, and, and B, they have now built a system where, to me, it doesn't matter who's there. So the, the Spurs did this a while ago, and granted, they were able to build that system around three Hall of Fame players. They had Kawhi Leonard, the fourth Hall of Fame player, and they were really good. But they had a system in place where now you can just plug players in and they would compete at a high level if they had those top-end talent or they'll be a playoff team at least, at the, at the, at the very least. They weren't going to ever end up in the lottery, and we've seen that with their playoff streak, which might come to the end this season finally, but I don't think it will. The Raptors are, are sort of building that system right now. Granted, it's only been a year and a half, but you take away Kawhi Leonard, who, as Scott said, Moments ago, best player in the league, in, in our opinion, on NBA.com. And you don't even replace him. You just lose him. <laughs> you lose him completely, and your team is better right now than you were a year ago. Is incredible. Nick Nurse is the coach of the year. Stone Cold lock for me. He's done an incredible job. Masayu Jerry has done an incredible job of building this culture. And, I, I, and like, you know, if they end up losing Fred Van Vliet in in the in the offseason or or even Kyle Lowry in the offseason one of the two they they have Terrence Davis who's going to be able to step right in uh you know Norm Powell's out of the lineup that's okay OG Ananobi steps right in uh Marcus Sol and Serge Ibaka can't go fine we'll we'll play the rocket style of basketball and and throw Rondé Hollis Jefferson at the 5 and still win the game this is a, a a system now in place that if they end up missing out on Giannis Antetokounmpo in a year and a half they're still going to be a good basketball team and still going to be able to compete at a high level, even without that superstar talent. And and until they get another superstar, they'll be able to tread water and, and, and be a really good team for a long, long time. I mean, it's all about building culture and a system, right? And that's what the, the Raptors have been doing for a long time with Masai Jury taking over. And then since Nurse has taken over, establishing you know what he wants to do on offense and defense, get guys that play hard, buy in. I'll, I'll never forget at the start of the season when Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Stanley Johnson weren't playing. Yeah. And he, I, I can't remember what it was word for word, but he called them out in front of the media and was basically like, these guys do not know how to play the way that we want to play. And this is a guy, Stanley Johnson still is in the rotation. We don't need to talk about him. But Ronda Hollis-Jefferson, <laughs> Ronda Hollis-Jefferson has always worked really hard, been a hard worker on the right. court. And to hear that about him surprised me and a lot of other people, I think. But it just goes to show that like Nurse has a very, you know, has a way that he wants to play, will not play guys if they're not doing that, playing the way that they want to and everything. And to your point, it just allows them to plug and play. Like Chris Boucher, too. Like yeah. Chris Boucher has been in and out of the lineup whenever they, they're down two big men. He always seems to have a big game. It's just, it, it is remarkable. The, 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 the amount, hey, we're talking about depth here, right? Yeah. And how it matters. Um, this team is a testament to that and how it helps having guys you can plug and play and, and everything. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I also think that Nick Nurse is a, a lock for Coach of the Year so far. I mean, you, you look at, a guy that gets the most out of his talent and just like players that were overlooked by everyone else. You, you mentioned Stanley Johnson. So he's, he was drafted the highest of any player on their team. He was eighth. <laughs> After him, what number, number player, whatever, can, do you know what number uh, was highest? Siakam maybe? In, no, it would have been. It'd be Ibaka, right? Yeah, Ibaka's like 15, 16. Ibaka was 24th. 24th. 23rd was uh, Lowry, I believe, and I think OG was also 23rd. And no one higher <laughs> no one higher than that. Siakam was 27th, Ibaka 24th, 
Terrence Davis undrafted, Chris Boucher undrafted, Van Vliet undrafted, Norm Powell second-round pick, Gasol second-round pick, Hollis Jefferson even was 24th pick. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah, that's insane. So, and the fact that Nurse is getting so much, I mean, he's turned Fred Van Vliet into a star. Like, Norm Powell is playing out of his mind. No one, no one else is getting maybe one guy on a roster, two guys on a roster that they're, they're getting that out of. This is the whole roster. Yeah. It's you really can't give him enough credit for all that, and it's, it doesn't matter who he throws in the lineup. Even Matt Thomas is Pat McCaw. They're having their days. It's 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 kind of crazy that they're the league isn't talking more about this. And probably if they were in another city, they would be. But yeah, the fact that they they could win sixty games with nobody over the twenty third pick. Yeah, we've never seen that. Probably. I mean, you can't look at the. It'll take forever to look at the numbers. We've probably never seen that. They could win sixty games with losing the arguably the best player in the league. <laughs> and and the guy who led the league last year in three point percentage, like they can, yeah, they, and they crazy. can win two. So they lose two starters, and off a championship team. And never before have we seen this, right? Right. Never before have we seen this in NBA history where you lose your best player via free agency for nothing, and another starter, and you get and you're and you're better. I mean, they're on pace to win sixty games, set a franchise record for wins, and everything like that. It's. And like you guys were saying, they've missed the fifth most games in the league this season due to injury. And it's not just guys at the end <laughs> of the bench. It's Larry missed time, Van Bleet missed time, Siaka missed time, Gasol missed time, Ibaka missed time, Powell's out. Like it's their it's broadcaster insane. Leo Rutten's about to miss time. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's missing time on the team. It's crazy. Like, and prayers up to Leo Rutten's. He's going for back surgery, but hmm. he's he's about to miss time. Like everybody's hurt on this team, and they still find ways to win games it's it's i mean i've never seen anything like it and i don't think we've seen anything like it in history to have the best player on your team the fr- first of all we've never seen a finals mvp leave a team right after winning a championship but to be in a better situation than you were this time last year is incredible it is and i you're not going to get any disagreement with me about nurse being coach of the year we should have micah here because he's the one who's uh yeah he's the only one there. i think he had him fourth last time we talked about it which <laughs> is just it's disrespectful <laughs> It's 15 games ago, probably. Yeah, it was, it made, they yeah. may need to, to roll off another five wins and, and get into that 20-win streak, uh, right? What's So what's the stat? It's 20. Who else has had a 20-win streak? It's, it's I think they'd be the se- I think they'd be the seventh team to win 20 games, 20 straight games. That's incredible. It's that. stuff like the, the, the Lakers from, I want to say, 71-72, an old Bucks team. Rockets are in there. The Rockets are in there. The Heat are the in heat there. The Heat did it a few years ago. They didn't yep. make the playoffs. Um. It's it's pretty it's pretty rare company and they they've been beating up on teams on teams with losing records who they've had a lot of success. Sure, I don't really think that matters when you talk about stuff like this because it's just it's incredibly it's impressive to win ten plus games, mind alone fifteen and potentially twenty. So and, and considering the fact that you have guys coming in and out in the lineup, like Powell started the streak and he's not going to end. Yeah, it. exactly. He's been hurt. Gasol, same thing. Yeah, he, he was in and out of the lineup. Um, does this translate into them being title contenders? Uh, they are second in the Eastern Conference right now. They're still six and a half games behind the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's it's another wild. team that I don't think we're talking enough about because the Bucks are having an incredible season. The one thing that stuck out to me about this whole win streak, uh, other than the two things I mentioned, is that they've won 15 straight. And actually, I'm going to save this for later. It's my shout-out. I'm going to save my, <laughs> my shout-out. Okay. Like I'm going to leave you guys hanging. Uh, but should this, should, does this translate into them making the finals again do you see a scenario where they can beat the bucks because the bucks are the only other team that i think in the eastern conference most people are picking to come out i think they're the only team that people are picking to come out of the eastern conference the bucks yeah yeah i'm I'm in that too but do you think that can you see the scenario where the raptors yeah i i 
they did it last year. I know they had Kawhi and Danny Green, but we just talked about how they've replaced that. I mean, they've definitely replaced Kawhi's scoring and Danny Green's scoring. Mm-hmm. So now it's just a matter of, the, I guess, lead by example, take it all on your shoulders type deal that Kawhi had and the, and the defense, which, I mean, you, you have OG this year. You got Hollis Jefferson in the playoffs. I mean, you can make a case that they're really not much worse than they were last year when they beat the Bucks. So the Bucks still have some holes. Um, I, I, I think it's hard to... Do, do, where are the Bucks holes? I also think they're top-heavy. I think um, I'm not, you know, besides Middleton and, and Giannis, I'm not really confident in anyone else to create their own shot in the playoffs. Bledsoe proved, I mean, has shown that he has problems doing that. Um, so, you know, they got to prove it. The Bucks have to prove it. And it's hard to count the Raptors out based on what they did last year and what they've done the regular season this year. They surprised everyone. So I, I could see it happening. I wouldn't bet on it, but I could see it happening. The Bucks also have a borderline all-star in Brooke Lopez who's shooting under 30% from three-point range. Just well, FYI. What, what are his uh, defensive metrics and uh, what, he's, what he's allowing at the rim? That's all I care about. That's all I care about. It's 29% from three, this guy. Get him hey, out of basketball's here. Basketball's playing on bo- bo- both ends of the court. Defense matches as well. How is he, how is he a, a three and D guy and hitting under? He's shooting worse than Wiggy. Because he provides, and you you had the audacity to sit there right there and worry about Wiggy's three point shooting. This guy's shooting worse than Wiggy from three. So what? Get he on. he provides valuable spacing. As he, a how thirty percent? The guy who's going to stand on the three point line and shoot a bunch of threes. It's valuable. That's not valuable spacing at thirty percent from three. Right. Are they guarding him? I guess that's the real question. Yeah, well, at got, what point yeah, do they, they start just leaving him open if he keeps shooting thirty percent all year? You gotta let him. You gotta let him. I mean, that's probably what, that's probably what teams are gonna do in the playoffs. Yeah, they're gonna, they gonna ignore him, him and then let him shoot. And what a drop off! 37 percent last year. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a pretty steep drop off. Do you know what hasn't hasn't gone worse? Yeah, his defense. Yeah, you know. exactly. His defense is actually really really good. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh, but off of off of Brook Lopez because we did enough chat with him last time I was here. Um, do you think the Bucks should fear the Raptors in the playoffs? I would not want to play the Raptors in the playoffs because, like we were saying with Nurse, I don't think enough attention is also being said about what they're doing defensively this season. I think they're, they're still the second best defensive team in the league. With all the guys in and out, that's incredibly impressive. But Nurse has shown that he's not afraid to try anything, um, mm-hmm. whether it's pressing teams at the end of games, playing aggressive zone defense, all that. So I think if there's anyone who can kind of create a scheme that would be able to slow down Giannis and the Bucks. I think it's the Raptors and Nurse. However, I do think as good as they've been this season, I think they're still going to need someone who can close games consistently for them. This is the Raptors. And I do think Siakam should be that player. And I still have questions about whether or not at this stage in his career he can do that. Right. Because we saw how valuable, obviously Kawhi was incredible in the playoffs last year, but the amount of games that he closed, whereas he just like put the ball in his hands He's going to manufacture points for himself, whether it's, you know, pulling up from mid-range, getting to the basket and drawing a foul. I just have questions if they, Siakam can be that player or if someone else can be that player. And I think you do need that when you get to the conference finals against a team like the Bucs. Have you adjusted your ceiling on them? On the Raptors? On the Raptors. Because I, I have. Last, I have. I, I, in the start of the season, I was saying fourth or fifth seed. Uh, if they got out of the play, if they got to the second round, it should be a success. I think I've adjusted that now to... I don't the seeding. I'm not worried about where they finish. I think they are clearly the second best team in the Eastern Conference, and I think that it would be a shock to me at this point, right now in the season, uh, providing health, that they sh- they should be in the Eastern Conference Finals. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I've I've definitely adjust, adjusted my ceiling since the beginning of the year. I mean, it's yeah. not even close. 
And so, I, you sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say I think they can. I think they'd be a favorite to make the conference finals at this point. And I, I think they can make the finals. And I said last week when we were talking about this that I still think the Bucks are the biggest threat. Sorry, the Sixers are still the biggest threat to the Bucks, and I still kind of believe that. But I do think the Raptors will have a much easier That's way a to get to trip, the ship. It is, but I think if they can put it all together, I still think they can match up best with the with the Bucks. The Sixers. Titanic hit the iceberg. Yeah. You're still. It's on not great. Now. I'm no. I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm on it. I just think that they may be built best to handle the Bucks. That's all. I don't necessarily trust them, and that's what I was saying. I, I at this point, I trust the Raptors the most to be the second best team in the East and to make the Eastern Conference Finals against the Bucks. We haven't mentioned the Celtics, by the way. Who? Yeah. They're. I mean, I they, they can match up with right? with any of those teams, and yeah. they're playing well. So, all I know is if if I'm a NBA star in this league, I do not want to play in Philly. Don't even, <laughs> don't even talk to me about going to Philly. Those fans, they, they, killed, they were killing Al Horford, <laughs> killing him, right? Yeah, booing Al Horford, poor guy. It's been a rough couple of years. They don't now. appreciate good things in that city. <laughs> oh man, Philly, Philly, Philly. They're uh, undeserving of, of a championship, says Alex Novick. All right, let's get to shoutouts. What do you got? I, I want to shout out uh, Nicole Jokic. Um, <laughs> Stole mine. Did I? Yeah. I, I'll give this to you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was a dual shout out. I was going to shout him out because of the lack of shout out that you gave him last week, and the rest of our. <laughs> I want to apologize to Nikola Nikola Jokic for the rest of our NBA.com global team for not putting him on the list of top ten players in the next five years. Are you kidding me? This guy, he was probably number three in MVP voting last year. Probably going to be top six this year. Last twenty games, guys averaging twenty five, eleven, eight, shooting fifty five percent, thirty seven percent from three. Come on, this guy's a stud. He's he just biased. I mean, you look at him and you don't think so, but he's uh, this guy is a flat-out superstar, top 10 player right now, maybe top five player right now. I'll, I'll even say that. And to not have him on that list, we're sorry, Nicola. Can we, can we get the list up so we can read it off? Can we get the, the, the final the list? Only, the only I will thing say that matters this, is... And I'll is... apologize here, too. I'll apologize to Brandon Ingram. <laughs> I fried him. <laughs> Less than 48 hours before this list came out, and then I had him on the list. <laughs> Sorry. I think they called you out for that. They did. Did. <laughs> they did. They did. They did. My guys called me out, and I was listening, and I was like, yeah, they were right. I fried him. New information came out, though, as I said. Did it, though? What new information <laughs> came out? I slept on it. Um, the top 10, to, to go over it again, Kawhi Leonard tied at 10 with Devin Booker, 9, Donovan Mitchell, 8, Jason Tatum, 7, Trey Young, 6, John Morant, 5, Joel Embiid, Four Zion Williamson, three Anthony Davis, two Luka Doncic, and then one Giannis Antetokounmpo. And just to to repeat what we said last week, no future prospects were taken into account when doing this list. So it's only guys who are in the NBA right now. Yeah, I'm not sure that Joel Embiid is going to be in the league in five years, <laughs> injury wise. That's my only. That's my wow. only thing. Uh, since you guys have both the sh- same shout out, I actually and I wanted to shout this out while we were talking about the Eastern Conference second spot. So we'll spend a little time talking about these guys. The Boston Celtics are, are, are sneaky right now. Sneaky, sneaky good. Uh, the Raptors have won 15 straight, and the Celtics are still only two games off of that pace like in, in, in the conference. Two games behind them. Two right. games behind them in the conference. That's incredible. Like they're, they're seven in a row. Last 10 games, they've won nine. Uh, Tatum is taken. Tatum's finally getting to the level which we thought he would get to after that incredible rookie playoff run. Um, last year was just a bad, bad year. For Jason Tatum, he ju- he just didn't seem like he, I don't know if it was a sophomore slump. I don't know if it was the Kyrie effect. Yeah, it might have been uh, chem- whatever you want to say. 
but he's he's found his spot next to Kemba Walker, and I think Kemba Walker is allowing him to be the man sometimes, uh, which is good. Uh, Jalen Brown, we can't sleep on him. This guy was a borderline all star. He, he's playing incredible. I think Gordon Hayward has clearly fallen to the back of that pack, in the, but he's still a guy that can give you twenty eight points on any given night, you know. Uh, and, and they have. I wanted them to make a trade and get a big man at the at the trade deadline, and I think that would have put them in a conversation to potentially make the Eastern Conference Finals. That didn't happen. I think that's going to be their downfall because their wings don't shoot threes well enough with a guard with someone in their face. Like if Tatum has an opportunity to shoot an open three, okay, chances are he's going to knock that down. Jalen Brown could hit a three as well. Marcus Smart cannot, you know, and he's going to be expected to shoot threes in the playoffs, and I think teams will play him that way. And when you go up against a team like the Bucks, who are very long, uh, the Raptors are very long, Sixers are very long, that's going to be a problem. Uh, so it's my only downfall on them. And then, you know, in this canter, can't guard anybody. And I don't know how much he's going to be able to give you offensively if, he, if he's not catching the ball in the post. So. Do you I, think they go to a death lineup type deal in the playoffs with I don't know if they shoot, at the five? I don't know if they shoot threes well enough to make that to make a team get out of there. Like like if they go to the depth lineup death lineup, then that means the Bucks switch to a death lineup of their own and put Giannis at the five and I'm taking my chances with Giannis, right? And same right. with the Raptors. I'm taking my chances with Siakam in that situation. And if they want to go with the Sixers, Al Horford is that or or Embiid is that guy. Taking my chance with that team, I just don't know that. And then the Heat, Bam out of piles that guy. Yeah, it's not, it's not, it's not really a good situation for the matchup wise. But I do want to shut them up because I think they are just in a perfect position, sneaking under the radar. Uh, they're tough to play at home. I think they've only lost five times at home this season. And uh, Campbell Walker is is quietly really having a nice year. Finally on a winning team. He is Tatum. Last twelve games, by the way, that he's played. 26.6 points per game, shooting 50% from the field, what? 47 from three, and wow. 77 from three, 78 from the free throw line. 47% from three-point range on yeah. how many attempts? Eight attempts a game. He's been lights out. <laughs> well, He's been not, lights out. That, and he got player of the week last week, didn't he? He did. That's oh. not, I mean, realistic for him. To, I mean, on eight attempts, he's not going to. No, just, I mean, that's not. I, I mean, guys have done that. It's not. I don't think it's not sustainable. season. But either way, I mean, he's been, he's been incredible lately. And like you were saying, he's kind of living up to being the guy that we all thought he could be, especially after his rookie season. His defense actually has been really good this it has season, been. too. Really, but you'd really rather good. have LeBron James on your defensive play, uh, all defense teams than him, apparently. I would, yes. Really? Yeah. And, 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 and by the way, that wasn't the, that wasn't the debate. It wasn't between those two. I just It was defensive play of the year. It's even worse. Was it defensive player of the year? <laughs> yeah, you, no, you were it was saying, team defense. No, you were saying LeBron should be defensive player of the year. I don't remember. We'll have to go back and listen to it. <laughs> oh, we're going to go <laughs> back. <laughs> we're going to go back. Do you have a, th- a thought on Boston before we get out here? Yeah, I think you nailed it with the uh, the lack of depth in the front court, or lack of real defense. Which it, it's just funny because that was so obvious going into the season, and they did nothing to address it. So I'm a little surprised that Danny Ainge didn't make a move there. But I think that will be their downfall eventually. And by the way, I don't want to. Uh, you can still give your Jokic uh, shout out. I didn't. I didn't mean to. Uh, you still. You got new information, please. No, he's. Uh, I I was just gonna say he got off to a really slow start this season. Um, our, our Mark Adams questioned whether or not he was in shape. Yeah, which was fair, by the way. It just he may have gone a little too far with what he was saying. That's all. S- some may say he motivated Jokic. That's he may have also done that. But when you look at his numbers now compared to last season, I mean, they're, they're, if they're not the same, they're better. And he's also been a more efficient scorer. So he's and the Nuggets are better than they were last season. So well, he's. Why doesn't that be your shutout? Why isn't the Nuggets your shutout? 
or Jokic's dietitian? One of the two. Because I want to, I want to give some love to Jokic. Just okay. deserves it. <laughs> but the Nuggets, the Nuggets also. They have, uh, speaking really of under good. the radar, they've been. Uh, Although I did have them as my loser at the trade deadline because I was hoping they'd make another move, but they've been they've for been who? Very for good. what? I wanted them to get Drew Holiday. Here we go. They gave up depth too. I mean, Beasley was not having a great year this year, but he, he's a solid player. He's good for yeah. them. So I, I, yeah, I agree. They they kind of took a step back. Although Napier might might give him a good game or two. I, I could see him coming up big in the playoffs for like. In that, with that Isaiah Thomas type impact. Michael Porter Jr. is the guy. They don't need Beasley. Michael Porter Jr. is the guy. They have him now. He's healthy. He's playing good basketball. He's the guy. You know, he's going to be better. He's going to be a better player or a better option for them when he finally figures it out than Jamal Murray. And Jamal Murray is going to slide down to their third option. The, uh, the Nuggets traded Napier for Jordan McRae, by the way. <laughs> what? That's a big-time trade. Right. Napier will not have is an it a big time for, That's for a for huge trade. I'm glad that we talked about that because that was huge. That's not going to move. The, who cares about I was going to say, I can't tell you being serious no, here. Who cares about Napier? <laughs> well, he was just pointing out that yeah, I, I was, just, I was completely second, like, false in my No, because I thought for a second, I was like, I know they traded for Napier, but I couldn't remember if, he, if they kept him or not. So I, I had to double check it, and then I thought I'd just, you know. All right, str- scratch that from the record. <laughs> Too many deadline deals to keep track of. Glad we sorted that out. Uh, for Scott Rafferty, <laughs> Alex Novick, I'm Carlin Gay. We will see you next time. And next time we see you, we're actually going to be in Chicago. All-Star Weekend. What are you guys looking forward to All-Star Weekend? I'm not looking forward to the new format. I'm back off of it. Wait, I said I was just, on it, wait, and wait, now wait. I'm back off of you it. You asked us what we're looking for, and then you told us what you're not looking forward to? <laughs> yeah, I'm a negative guy. So, Give us something you're looking forward to, then. Seeing everybody. No, that's nice. I'm looking forward, the, forward to the celebration, the Kobe celebration. Okay. The celebration of Kobe's life. I think it's, it's, going, to be, uh, it's going to be touching and remind us why we all love the game. Um, I, I gave this answer like a couple weeks ago when we talked about this. I'm excited to see Dwight Howard in the dunk contest. Oh, my God. Mm. You're still, yeah. Okay, you could have changed it, but you stuck with <laughs> nah, it. No, I stuck with it. Double down. I'm actually looking forward to the game. I know some people aren't, don't think those new rules will uh, really have an impact, but I think there's going to be a lot of energy in the building because of the Kobe stuff, like you said. I think we saw actually in preseason in India when they brought all the kids in and the, and the Kings and Pacers really fed off that energy and were diving on the floor overtime preseason <laughs> game that felt like a playoff atmosphere. I actually think the players are going to feed off the energy in the game and they're going to, there's actually incentive to win for charity and it's going to be a game to remember. You and Mike Adams went to India and enjoyed it. Uh, and luckily you guys came back without having any uh, stomach issues from the food out there. Yeah, it's because I only ate like <laughs> salads the entire time. But yeah, good place India. Yeah, it is. Hopefully they put another game out there. Um, for Alex Novick, Scott Rafferty, I'm Carlin Gay. For the third time, we will say goodbye right here at NBA Sound System. <laughs>